Have you ever had a friend scoff at you for believing what the Bible says about an Antichrist who will deceive the nations at the end of time? And they started teasing you about believing Sunday school trivia. Well, you can respond by asking them if they have ever thought about the fact that there has already been a Western leader in modern history who almost fulfilled the predictions of Revelation about the Antichrist. This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to open the book of Revelation for yourself and to discover truth that will protect you and set you free. Today, our Truth Encounter study leader begins our exploration of Revelation chapter 13 by describing a short, broken man who sat in prison. Who would have ever guessed that he would rise and become the leader of 60 million people and almost conquer the world? Let's join Dave and learn about an Antichrist who has already stomped across the pages of history. He was a little man. He was sitting in a prison. He had committed treason, so he was on trial for treason in his country. His political cause that he had become one of the leaders in had just made a push against the government and the whole thing dissolved when the soldiers came out and subjugated this little rebellion. He just fell on his face in, in cowardice and, and acted like he had been wounded when he never had. And so this little man sat in prison, and you would have sworn that, his, that he himself was dead. In fact, his country was dead. They had no military. Their economic situation was totally broken. The major part of their homeland that was the backbone of their industrial strength was totally destroyed and taken away from them. In fact, it would have been like the United States trying to conduct its industry without the Ohio Valley and without New York City, without Los Angeles, without Dallas, Fort Worth. This little man sat in his cell and you would have sworn that his career was over. He got out of jail and he rejoined his gang of thugs. He never held down a job for a day in his life. He never worked a legitimate job where he did what tons of you have done all this week. You got up early in the morning and you went to work and you got a paycheck. This little guy never did any of that. And yet in eight years from the time that he sat rotting in jail, in eight years, he became the supreme ruler of 80 million of his people. Five years after that, Five years after that, the world's most powerful leaders, the Prime Minister of England, the President of the United States, the rulers of France, the, uh, the Premier of France, all of those major leaders bowed and scraped before this little tiny man. How did he do it? Well, he promised Christians like yourselves, he promised Christians like yourselves that he would bring back right-wing moral standards. He promised the conservative Christians that he would bring back a strong uh, sense of right, that there would be a strong commitment to old traditional values, and he promised them that he had nothing to oppose their churches, only he would bring them into great success. He promised the businessmen. A lot of you have gone and you've worked in companies during the week. This little man promised all the businessmen that he would, that he would make sure that their investments could keep following, you know, pressing forward. He promised them that he would rebuild that industrial strength, that he would regain that land, and he made incredible promises to these business people. He called them the military men. 
He called in the military men and he promised them that he would take them from zero. When he first started working with the government of his country, his, his entire military machinery of that country had been totally devastating. He promised them that he would take them from ground zero and make them the most powerful military force in the world. And because the Christians had thrown out their Bible, because most of their major universities had decided that Genesis was just myth, that the empty tomb was another myth, that this book was just filled with, with grim fairy tales, kind of like the German fairy tales. They kind of just took this book and they threw it out. And they decided that, that what Christianity really was, was just some symbols and some beautiful imagery of, 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 of a great deliverer. And it, it could be Jesus, it could be someone else, but there never really was the literal Son of God who actually died on the cross for people's sins. There never really was a literal Son of God who rose again from the dead. That was all just old, forgotten children's stuff. This was the real world. The dominant church in this little man's country had decided that this book really wasn't true. That man was just the product of chance, and, but they still hung on to those traditional ethical values. And here was a great political leader that promised them that he would make them great. The business people. They threw out this Bible. They didn't think in terms of, you need to be honest, you need to be fair. They just thought in terms of the bottom line. I mean, they believed that these great, powerful business leaders, what makes the world go round is the economy. Remember, stupid, it's about the economy. The bottom line is what's in the bottom line of your books. The bottom line is whether or not, you know, you've got millions in your account, whether or not your industry is moving forward. That's the real world. That's the way things really are. And so those business people, when this great political leader promised that he would create an environment that would give them the freedom to be able to keep growing and developing economically, they said, remember, stupid, this is what it's about. And they followed him. The military guys dreamt of being powerful. They had lost and been totally destroyed. They knew what it was to come back to their land and have their people just, just totally destroyed and, and totally filled with despair because they had been totally beaten. They were like a football team that lost in the fourth quarter in the last minute of the game and they were totally crushed by the opposition. When this political leader said, man, listen, I can make you powerful again. I'm going to give you the industry, the factories. I'm going to give you the, the, all the equipment that you need. If you'll give me the power, then I'm going to make you the most powerful military force in the world. And those military leaders, having thrown out this book, having thrown out a standard that's higher than just power, they lived just to be able to fulfill that dream of being able to rise up and conquer their enemies. And so this little man went from being in prison for treason. And in just 13 years, the major leaders all over the world were groveling before him. And this is not the latest 007 thriller. This is history. This is what happened in World War II. You see, Adolf Hitler was a man who started out rotting in a jail. And he ended up causing a war where, six, where 60 million people gave their lives because of that little man. What I want you to understand is, is that if, if, if across Germany, if across Germany there would have been those that, like you, really committed to this book, 
really knowing what this book is about, then they could have had an influence. They could have resisted some of those incredible, powerful forces. I want you to turn this morning to Revelation chapter 13. And the reason I mention Adolf Hitler is it's an amazing thing. It's almost like God on the pages of history gives us warm-up scenarios. It's like in the Old Testament, he gave us Antiochus Epiphanes. In the 200, about 167 B.C., before Jesus came, God caused a great leader to rise up in history, and this great leader actually acted out much of what Antichrist is going to act out in the future. We learned that there's a spirit of Antichrist, and that spirit is already at work. And that is an attitude of theological heresy, biblical heresy. It's a denial of Jesus as the one and only Savior. It's a denial of Jesus as the one and only Lord. And we learned that that's a spirit that's been permeating down through time. But I want you also to know that as we open up the pages of Revelation chapter 13, that there is a spirit of Antichrist. But there's also the person of Antichrist. There's going to come in the final seven years of tribulation that God told Daniel he would bring upon his people Israel, there's going to arise another great Western leader. There's going to arise a great political reformer. There's going to arise a great political man who will promise business the moon. He'll promise the military the moon. He will promise the religious people that he can bring in utopia. The book of Revelation says that the spirit of Antichrist is at work, but it says that it's going to become localized, it's going to become focused in an individual. And if all people that have ever lived, because we live in the aftermath of World War II, we should not be sitting here going, oh, that could never happen. This could never happen. Revelation is talking about stuff that is so unrealistic, and who would ever follow that? Because you have a book in your hands that really exposes the dynamics of how an antichrist kind of a figure, how a false politician can rise up and gain the control of people's minds. Revelation 13, first of all, begins by exposing his origin. It spells out where does he come from. And one of the things that it does is it hits us in the face with something that every one of you need to understand. If you're a parent, if you're a school teacher, if you're in business, whatever field you're in, you need to understand that there is such a thing called evil. I want everybody to say that with me. There is such a thing called evil. You see, a lot of people want to say there isn't such a thing called evil. That all of you are good and all the people you're going to work with are good. That people don't really lie. People don't really have their own self-interest at heart. That if you really allow people to talk things over, if you really allow people to, to kind of work things through, that somehow this great goodness that wells up within us will finally ride to the surface and there will be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. As we look at Revelation chapter 13, we have the dragon, Satan, and he is seeking to devour human beings, seeking to destroy God's plan of the earth. We see this dragon sitting on the shores of the sea, and he sees this beast coming up. John then, as he's watching the dragon, suddenly looks out at the sea, and then look at verse 1 of chapter 13. He saw a beast coming up out of the sea. This beast had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns in his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name was written. 
The beast comes up out of the sea. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, we were told that the political leader that was attacking the believers and caused many of them to be martyred, we learned that he came up out of the abyss. So here it's saying that this great political leader that's going to rise up comes up out of the sea. In Revelation 11, it says he comes up from the abyss. It also says in Revelation 17 that this beast is riding in this great sea of humanity and it calls them people, nations, language, and tongues. What's all this going about? Well, what the Bible does is picture the whole seething uh, groups of people, all the different nationalities, all the peoples on earth. It pictures them like an ocean that at any time can just blast into terrible chaos. And we've mentioned that to you before. In the Bible, the sea represents the chaos, the disorder, everything going haywire. In fact, the great idea of the deep, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was without form or void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. One of the most scary things that you could ever experience is to think of being on the ocean, looking down to the depths of the ocean. You plunge into the water. There's nobody there to rescue you. There's nobody there to help you. And you just plunge into the depths of the sea. You can imagine the fear of plunging in the darkness off the, off the edge of a ship, down in the ocean, without anybody knowing that you've done that. And you just plunge to your death, to your destruction. That idea, deep inside all of us, in fact, like a, a Stephen King horror film, will use that fear that's inside of us towards looking into the depths of the ocean, looking into the depths of the sea, that terror that's there. There's a fascination that we have with that. There's a horrible repulsion that we have with that. But the Bible said that that is the pit of evil, that there's this ultimate chaos, that there's this great disorder. Satan is the lord of that region. In our culture, we like to, to not take that region seriously. We like to believe that it's really not that bad and really not that bad a thing will happen. And then we're flabbergasted suddenly when somebody gets murdered. You know, we'll sing about the pit. We'll sing about darkness. We'll sing about the horrible violence of what evil can do. But when it actually happens, we throw up our hands in exasperation saying we can understand how this could ever happen because this is just pretend. Well, I got news for you. The pit is not pretend. The dragon is not pretend. Hitler believed in lying. Hitler believed it was totally right for him to look at you right in the eye and make a promise to you, swear to you that he was not going to do something. It was part of his modus operandi. It's the way that he did things. He happened to sit in front of a leader named Neville Chamberlain who was part of a liberal Christianity that didn't believe there was such a thing as evil. He believed that if we all sat down at a table that everything would be fine, that we could work it out, that we could talk it out. He didn't believe in evil. He thought it was just a figment of our imagination. So he sat across the table with this Hitler and Hitler just lied to him. Like Hitler promised him, I will not go and destroy the Czech people. I don't want one Czech in the Third Reich. I don't want any Czechs in the Third Reich. And Neville Chamberlain breathed a sigh of relief. The German armies are not going to invade Czechoslovakia. So there's no danger there, because Neville Chamberlain believed. Hitler swore. In fact, Hitler signed a document. I will absolutely not. Not one Czech will come in to the Third Reich. 
In fact, Neville Chamberlain went back to England and, and he was praised and, and, and there was great celebration in the street. It was, there was going to be peace in our time because Hitler had made this great promise. But there was an area in Czechoslovakia that had a lot of Germans in it and Hitler had sent his Nazi thugs in there to stimulate a lot of trouble and so there was riots taking place and he used that as a pretense to bring his army into that area. And he actually made the English and the French actually at the conference table allowed the Nazi armies to march right through the Czech fortifications, to march right through mountains like where I was raised in the Adirondacks, where the Czechs had 800,000 soldiers ready to resist the Nazi armies. And Neville Chamberlain, the French prime minister, because they didn't believe in evil, because they didn't believe that someone could lie, because they believed in promises. They just let the Nazi tanks roll right through those fortifications. You know, after the war at the Nuremberg trials, they found out that there were three major German generals that if Chamberlain would have said no to Hitler at Munich, in fact, if he wouldn't have gone to Munich, if he would have said no, Czechoslovakia is non-negotiable. You cannot go into, the, into, into Czech. If they would have done that, they were ready on that day to arrest Hitler, try him for treason, and destroy the Nazi government. There never would have been a World War II. But because someone didn't believe that beasts can arise out of the pit. You think your friends are going to tell you this week, this book is unrealistic, this book is just filled with fairy tales. I got news for you. From oldest to the youngest, this is the only book that will help you to know what's really going on. To help you not to believe lies. To help you to have great discernment into what comes out of the pit and what represents our dear Lord Jesus. In other words, there is such a thing as evil. There is such a thing as lying. And what the book of Revelation is telling us is that ultimately, at the end of time, there's going to be the origin of this horrible ultimate leader is he's going to come from the pit. He's going to be evil. In other words, he'll make promises and think nothing of it. He'll think nothing of murder. He'll think absolutely nothing of taking out someone's life. He'll think nothing of just taking innocent people, just butchering them. And this has already taken place in the pages of history. So as we think about the origin of the Antichrist, I want you to realize that the book of Revelation says that he is going to come out of this pit of evil which confronts us with the reality that there is in this present world this rebellion. There is this darkness. There is this evil. There is this disobedience against God. And that's something that's very important for us that, as believers to understand that this book is giving us insight, saying evil is real. There are those that lie. There are those that will just take someone's life. There are those that are filled with pride, filled with their own selfish causes. In fact, you don't have to look very far to find out about evil. All I have to do is look right inside here. How about you? Right? And we need to be really honest about that. You need to face that evil side. That's why Christ came. You see, what Christ says is the way that we can beat the evil side is by the power of his cross, by the power of the resurrection, by the power of him coming into our life. But as we now we think about the character of Antichrist, we think of his origin out of evil. How does this origin begin to manifest itself in his character? Well, look what he does. It talks about his incredible, his incredible, magnificent, supernatural leadership. It says, The beast that I saw resembled a leopard, 
would have the feet of, the, of those of a bear, the mouth like that of a lion. What it's saying there is that this Antichrist at the end of time is going to be the conglomeration, kind of the ultimate synthesis of all that the old empires of the ancient world and of the modern world have represented. Remember I taught you in the past, when I taught you the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, you had Babylonian Empire, the lion head of, of gold. You had the, this, the shoulder area being the Medes and Persians that was made of silver. You had the central area that was made of bronze. And you had the Greek Empire. Then you had the legs that were iron. Remember, Daniel's image sweeps into a ten-nation confederacy, just like the ten toes on an image. What Daniel 2 promises us, and Daniel 7 promises us, and this is really important, it promises us that as we move through these world governments, this final world government, the Roman Empire, is going to ease into a period where it's part iron and part clay. In other words, there's, there's, there's strength and yet there's weakness, that we're going to kind of enter a nebulous period which is kind of where we've been living. Jesus picked up on that in Matthew 24. He says, And wars and rumors of war will continue the end, that people will go and they'll do their thing until the end. But what the Bible goes on to say, and in Daniel's image, it's just a continuum, it flows right in to a ten-kingdom confederacy. Daniel chapter 7 tells us about this ten-nation confederacy. Now, whether or not that's ten nations in a united Europe... You know, whether or not it's the 10 most powerful economic powers in the world today, I don't know. You know, I think it could be either one of those. It could be something that transcends either one of those entities. People ask me, you know, is it going to be just the countries in Europe? And does that mean the United States gets blown up in some nuclear war? I don't think, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily has to happen at all. I think that North and South America is all from the culture of this great Western bloc. That's been ruling culture, ruling the world ever since the time of Jesus. It's the Western nations that rose to prominence. It's our technology. It's our adventuresome. It's our uh, intellectualism. It's our universities. The whole university system is a Western idea, and it's dominated the world. And it will continue to dominate the world according to Daniel's image. And it ultimately expresses itself in some kind of a ten-nation worldwide confederacy. And the ruler of that great confederacy is Antichrist. He's all, he's Satan's ultimate counterfeit Christ. And what it's saying is that he gets his authority from Satan. Notice that it says that he got his authority. The dragon gave the beast his power. So this Antichrist is going to be empowered by the evil one. And all of you this morning need to recognize that there are two major powers in the world. There is the power of the triune God... And there's the power of Satan. And every one of you are living under the control of one or the other. It's kind of like you walk out into an environment where we have an idea that there's kind of neutral area, neutral zones, neutral places. There's no neutral place on planet Earth. Like, do you believe that power and might belong to Jesus? Do you really, really believe that ultimately when all the armies have marched and all the navies have sailed, And all the great political leaders have made their statements. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ will be Lord of all? You need to really think that through. Because that's what this is about. So when you sing, shout to the Lord, all the earth. That is a a prayer. 
You're looking forward for the day when all the earth and all of God's creation will join in giving praise and honor and glory to him. And you need to decide, like, that's what I'm committed to. Because what Revelations tell us is that there's going to be another power. Antichrist is going to receive his power from the dragon, from Satan. And Satan has power. Now, Satan's power, according to the book of Revelation, cannot step outside the bound. That's one of the great promises of this book. This book promises us that there's ultimately a great king. And that's why I've sided with him. Because he's the ultimate power. And he's the one that has the last word. But don't ever underestimate that, yes, God is the ultimate power. But God has allowed this terrible uh, counterfeit, this terrible opposite of him, to have a, a region of authority. He's given him a circle in which he can operate. And I don't want any of you to underestimate that power. And I want you to know the reality of that power. The dragon gave Antichrist and will give Antichrist in the future his power. And you see there, go, oh, you know, he gets power and might. You know, what does that mean in authority? What it means is that Satan will work behind the scenes and he'll cause things to happen that will powerfully enable this false Christ to come into, come into fruition. Now, I have to be honest, if I were sitting where you're sitting, I would say, oh, man, some guy that is going to think he's going to rule the world and think he's going to make all these promises to religion and business and everything, man, that's so, that's just like a Hollywood movie. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. And what I want you to realize is that in the career of Hitler, it's like you have a warm-up thing. You see, what Hitler did, power was given to him by the evil one. And what he would do is he would send gangs of thugs like into industries and, and into different parts of the country and stir up all kinds of trouble. And they would intimidate. Underneath the surface, they would intimidate. The Protestant ministers like myself that opened up this book and preached, as they started gaining authority, suddenly those preachers disappeared. They'd suddenly end up dead. Like, just like in New York City where I was raised, it was like gang warfare, only this was all done under the power and the authority of Hitler, underneath the surface. That's when the Jewish people started to be marginalized. He started producing books and, and giving messages about the evil of the Jewish people and caused the whole mass of the country to begin to hate these people and to turn against them. You see, you don't create... You don't create a whole industry. Do you know how much industrial strength that it takes to exterminate six million people? You know the industrial expertise and the buildings and the, the organization that it takes to come up with an industry that wipes out six million people and then collects their fillings and their clothes and all that kind of stuff? You see, it wasn't just Hitler. It was a whole group of people that came under the spell of this power and this evil. And so you had this combination of intimidation and, and all those that were opposed suddenly disappear. And that's what the book of Revelation is saying is going to take place in the future. That's why J. Vernon McGee, one of my mentors during World War II, he was preaching that Hitler was the Antichrist. Now, it turned out Hitler wasn't the ultimate Antichrist. And Dr. McGee wasn't right about that, but he was in the spirit of Antichrist. I want you not to be a people that just sit around playing Pokemon 
and playing video games and watching dumb TV shows and you don't know what's happening in the world. What has happened? Because what I'm describing, what happened in World War II in Germany, it was also happening the same time over in Russia with Stalin with even more people being butchered. What the book of Revelation is describing for us here is the insight into the way that your world really works. And it's saying that you can have individuals that really turn themselves over to evil. And they just believe in themselves. And Hitler is one of those men. And Satan gave him great authority. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat the same tragic mistakes of history. We dare not fail to stand against the kind of tyranny and commitment to evil that almost conquered the world as Nazi Germany sought to extinguish the Jewish people. Revelation chapter 13 reveals that God will protect them from a future Antichrist who will again try to destroy God's chosen people just as he did not allow Hitler to succeed in World War II. We will pick up the discussion at this point on our next encounter, so encourage your friends to join us. God's Word alone can give us the insight into the seduction of evil and to the power of Jesus Christ to protect us from it. Don't miss our next opportunity to encounter the truth.